Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Really? No, Reginald. Wait, wait, but he's got, but Nigel had Ohio State. No, he had Gonzaga. I had Ohio State to the finals. So okay. it was the I, classic I, I, fan move. Hooked him in the finals. Okay. All right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what but about Reginald? Reginald has, yeah, Reginald has a, the highest max potential score. So he's right in the mix. And he has Gonzaga as well. So that's where we're going to see And he's a monkey. To, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think we need to stress, and he's a monkey. <laughs> and he's a monkey. And it's I don't, hard for I don't him think to fill out the bracket. Hand. He's a monkey. Right. Yeah, he's a monkey. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty, then. Let me wish everybody a happy Passover, even those who are not celebrating it. Happy Passover to all of you. We did not have any satyrs. We were traveling, and I'll talk about that in a second. But I got a nice... A nice gift, it says. A gift for you, Tony and Michael and Carol, as the big dance becomes the big horror. Wishing you, all of you, a joyous Passover. It's not Grater's uh, Coffee or Giffords, but the next best thing from Michael Kinslinger and Bill Horner. So that's cappuccino chip macaroons. I'm not a macaroon guy. Michael, are you a macaroon guy? I am, but I think Carol's going to... Mm, Carol... Mm, Interesting. I no. thought the flavor. Look, she'd I, love those. I want you to taste one at some point. I liked it. I had one. I'll do it in the mailbag. Yeah, I had one. It was pretty good. So thank you for that. Also, um, people who know me know that I'm going to mention that last night and early this morning was a full moon. We got the text. In the Washington... Yes, to take the boys out if you could. I did, that was implicit. I didn't say take the boys out. Well, there out. was a windstorm. Yes, there was a windstorm. Yes. The weather in Washington, D.C. was inhospitable. Um, it was rain. It was wind. It was clouds. But this morning at about 5.30 on, as the clouds began to clear, you could see the moon visibly in the western sky as it sunk. And it was just gorgeous to watch. So I wanted to say that. So I was, I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm not going to dwell on this, actually. But I was away last week. Um, we were in uh, South Carolina last week. I don't talk about that on the air for superstitious reasons. I just have superstitions, but I talk about it when I get back. Actually, they're very practical reasons. So, but they're also superstitious. They're also crazed reasons. So I, I will talk about that. Not necessarily today, because there was a, a, I, I just wanted to mention not so much what we did on the trip, but the weather that I had, the weather that I encountered on this trip was almost, other than a sandstorm, you know, it was almost everything you could have that you don't expect. We drove south on Friday. You, you went on Thursday? We went Wednesday. Went Wednesday. And we sent you Friday to try and avoid a potential tornado. Right. So there was supposedly going to be horrific weather in North Carolina where we were going on Thursday, so we didn't go. It turned out not to be much, right? It was actually a great day. Okay, but on Friday, we drove down. We made the commitment to drive down. So this is about where I'm going. I'm going to Pinehurst. I'm breaking up a trip. The trip for me straight through to South Carolina would take at least nine hours. That's too much now at my age, just too much. So we broke it up by going six to Pinehurst and then four to South Carolina, and that's how we did that. On the trip down, now remember, I'm going south. And by, by the way, you're, you're saying, well, why isn't he talking about the tournament? Well, we'll, we'll get to the tournament. Okay, stop. We have Wilbon <laughs> and Culpepper. We'll get to the tournament. Don't go nuts. <laughs> so on the, I'm driving south. I, I, want, I can't emphasize this enough. As I drive south on 95 and 85 and 501 in North Carolina, I'm, I'm thinking it ought to get warmer I'm going south. It ought to get warmer. 
40 minutes outside of my house, north of Richmond, by an hour, horrific rain. Rain, 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 rain. Okay, all the way down 95. Well, to be fair, you'd be going slow in that stretch of 95 anyway. Right, right. But terrible rain. And then I get on to 85, and the rain continues for a while. 85, you pick up 85 around Petersburg, Virginia, and there's about 60, 70 miles of Virginia left on the highway. It turns to snow. It turns to snow. I'm in southern Virginia and then northern North Carolina in Henderson, North Carolina, and it's snowing. And you go, whoa, Michael, I wanted to turn around. I think you threatened to turn around. No, I just thought it was insane. I'm going through snow. Anyway, we get through the snow. We get there. On the way back, we go through unbelievable thick fog. I mean, you can't see 100 feet in front of you. Like for an hour and a half, from Pinehurst to Raleigh, nothing but fog, just fog. And then that breaks. And then you get the usual accidents and you're held up. But the combination and of... And hit Petersburg. Um, Fredericksburg. Fredericksburg. Fredericksburg was a disaster. You just sat, sat in a car for 45 minutes because an oversized load decided this would be a good time to fall off into the street. <laughs> right. And thereby blocking 86 lanes of traffic all the way to Texas. You know, and you just sit there. Well, it's not like Saturday's a travel day. <laughs> well, it's just dreadful. Anyway, um, I, I just wanted to sort of talk about that. So when you, when everybody else is driving and you think, oh, this will be easy. Well, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. In any case, what I wanted to get to was simply this. I was gone for eight days, nine days. A little longer. Left on Friday, came back okay. Saturday, eight, nine well, days. By your count, eight days. Eight days. When I got back, to Washington, spring had had happened. It had happened. There were blossoms everywhere. There so were where did daffodils you, where did you first notice it? Honestly, at my own house, because I was concentrating. I was driving with such concentration, um, and hey, you feel it in your neck, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it's terrible on the right side of my neck, down into my shoulder. That's where I get all tense. But it was that's where when I got to the house and I saw at the little house. The tree that we put in a couple of years ago is blossoming with pink blossoms. The back of our house is blossoming. Forsythia is all over. And daffodils, which I think I'd mentioned a couple of weeks ago, they were beginning to come out. Daffodils are everywhere. You felt the same way, did you not? I did. And so this is the tricky thing. When we're driving down, we drove down, I think it was the 17th. And you start to see trees blooming on your way down. And as soon as you get to the Carolinas, you see a very distinctive... I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's a white, yellow flowering bush, and it's everywhere on the side of the highway, so you're making the turn back. Shout out to the Kornheiser boys. Two total stops there and back. That's Two all? One stops. each way? Wow. One each I way. I stopped made five it, times. We made it five hours. <laughs> they know me at the service areas. They say, oh, Mr. Kornheiser, you're <laughs> back <laughs> again. Yes. yes. So for us, we, we're, we're arriving into D.C., and it had been a... A lovely afternoon, but you know, you're in a car, so you don't actually know how warm it is. We get off the key bridge, we make a right onto M Street. So we're in Georgetown, and all of a sudden we go, What is this? And it looked like a time lapse because I haven't seen that many people down by the waterfront, down walking the streets of Georgetown, yeah, around the key. It was warm. In over a year, so you start. It was saying, warmer than it was in North Carolina. Yeah, so then you start looking at the, at the lawns and you, and you see those daffodils, the distinctive daffodils. But for me, it was when I saw the full blooming magnolias. Yeah, and I'm always brought back to Blair's campus, and I think about the seniors who get to wear shorts. So it was it was lovely here. It was one of those trips where 
again, we're going through snow. We had to, we had to have cold weather gear and warm weather gear. There's a lot of stuff. So by the end of the trip back, I just took all the coats and just threw them into every the day we played, and we were playing golf most days. Every day, we, every day, I just have to say most because Liz might listen. <laughs> it got warmer and warmer, and I was just yeah. waiting to see at what point is Tony com- going to commit to the shorts. I had warm a couple of days, but when I got down to Pinehurst. The second time around Pinehurst, it was rainy and windy and cold, and I wore pants. Now, it turned out to be a mistake after number eight or nine, but, you know, that's how it started out. I wanted to mention one other thing for those of you who who know him or um, are aware of his work. Dave Kindred, who is great, just a great sports writer who has won every award imaginable. Dave Kindred is such a good sports writer that when he left in 1984, he left the Washington Post. There were two columnists at that time, well, three, two sports columnists, Dave Kindred and Ken Denlinger, and then Angus Phillips did an outdoors column, which no longer, newspapers don't have these anymore, outdoors columns, hunting, fishing, boating, stuff like that. Those were the columnists. When Kindred left to go to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and I don't even know why he left, but he left to go to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, they needed two people to replace him, me and Boswell. I mean, Boswell are pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> they they went and got two people to replace Kindred. That's how good Kindred was. He was on sixty minutes last night, and the gist of what he talked about was now living in a town in central Illinois, very nearby, if not the exact same town where he grew up. Uh, I think it's Atlanta, Illinois, not Atlanta, Georgia, or maybe it's Atlantic. But I couldn't be Atlantic because. There's no water in Illinois. I mean, what are you talking about? There's no ocean in Illinois. So it's probably Atlanta, Illinois, small town. Although I thought he was from normal Illinois. I could be wrong about this. He has for the last six, seven, eight years been writing about on a regular basis the high school girls team, basketball team. And this was a piece about him doing that, how honored the young women should be on that team. And in fact, they are that Dave Kindred follows them and writes about them and gets in a car and takes notes on their game and interviews them afterwards and then goes to a computer and writes this stuff for people to read. And Kindred has, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, And it was a lovely piece, a lovely piece on Kindred and out of the blue. And I was so thrilled to see it. If you happen to, I guess you can go back and look at 60 Minutes. It's the third piece. It's really... The pieces are fascinating, and they are really different. One is about the growing sentiment that I have that I had months ago when I was called a lunatic and a trumper for saying that I believed, and I think I said this on the air, that it it seemed to me reasonable to believe that the um, coronavirus was created in a laboratory because I didn't believe the bats thing. Right, Nigel, you don't believe the bats thing, people eating live bats. Do you? No, no. Uh, it, no. It, it, especially with everything that's sort of come out, it does seem like it was something that came out of a lab. So I didn't, I didn't say it was created with, with malintent. I just right. thought maybe it was created there. And everybody said, you, you just like Trump. Well, now a lot of people think that. And there was a piece about this. You think that, right, Michael? I, I, they, I, have, they, have a, they have a Department of Virology in Wuhan. They have it. So I guess you're not going to be dining out with any pangolins anytime soon? <laughs> no, no. Not even outdoors? No, I'm not eating live bats. No, I'm not doing that. No. Um, so anyway, so that was a piece. And then it was a piece on robots and robots Uh-oh. dancing and robots jumping. And you go, oh, my God. And then there was Kindred. 
60 Minutes has been on for like 50 years. It remains the best show on television. Every week you learn something new. 60 Minutes and their, and the Sunday morning on CBS. They're the best shows on and television. And what's so great is how it transitions. Normally it's like you left your TV on and the, and the afternoon game ends. And then you go, oh, I guess I'll yes. dive into this now. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I, I did want to mention that. And again, let me go. And you're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. What about the tournament? Okay. Okay. The tournament's on. <laughs> Where are our standings? Oh, standings. Update our standings. Because now we're, standings. we're into the final eight. With not many more so games So the top to of the board has not changed much. We still have Coach Polian, who is leading us with 580. Nigel with 580 as well. But this is where it gets interesting. Reginald just back at 520. Wait, a monkey is in third? <laughs> a monkey? A monkey? Is, yes, a monkey. <laughs> Reginald is in third. In third? It still has a higher potential score than both of those previously mentioned names so it looks like we have reginald steve sands and tory tory has the highest remaining points on the board what what, what who did she pick to win she has michigan okay so, that so this was, is where right. she separates herself from everyone else with gonzaga everybody else has gonzaga yes. boy it is tough to watch gonzaga and not think they're gonna win yeah <laughs> they really look good all right we will take a break we'll devote the rest of the show mostly to the tournament we will have Michael Wilbon, who is in Arizona, and Chuck Culpepper, who worked the late game last night, which means he didn't go to bed till about 2 o'clock in Indianapolis. I am Tony Kornheiser. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Okay, so this is the X-Chair read, and they're fairly demanding. They say this is sent to us by the media manager of X-Chair. And in, in yellow, it says, highlighted copy must be included exactly as written. Exactly as written. Okay, that's fine. Well, to be, to be fair, this is to ensure your comfort. Right. But it's, it's fine. So, but they, they start and they write, I love my new X chair. I've never had an office chair that looks or feels so amazing in my entire life. Honestly, it's so comfortable that I can sit for hours and never feel uncomfortable. Okay, they did not add that inflection. The, they don't force you to read that. I'm just reading you that to let you know that that's what they want me to say. But what I want to say is <laughs> utterly different from that. Michael assembled this chair, took it upstairs so that it faces the computer, a device I never look at. I've sat in this chair enough to think this chair is good. This is a really good chair. I want to move it up into the attic. I want to use it for the PTI show because I really like it. And the endorsement I will give is from someone I have known virtually my entire life. Certainly, certainly since the late 1950s. That's a long time ago. My friend Jody Forstott. Jody is a doctor in South Florida. Jody treats people with arthritis and things like that. And Jody, when he found out I was getting this chair, Jody said he had bought this chair himself. And it was the greatest chair. He's still an active doctor. It's his office chair. It's the greatest chair he's ever had. He spent real American money on this chair, and he loves it. So that's, that's the endorsement I'm giving you, all right? The secret is not only their patented dynamic variable lumbar support, DVL, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to my lower back. But now, thanks to their new XHMT technology, heat and massage, I can also get heat and massage therapy while I'm sitting at my desk. Now, I don't know how to do that. That's too advanced for me. But a real regular person. You just plug it in. A regular person would know how to do this. Now, the problem is when Nigel gives me this copy, it says dynamic variable lumbar. It doesn't say lumbar. It says lumbar. As if wood, lumber, 
So I think right. you need to call the media manager and find out if the media manager has typed this badly. Okay? Do that. Instead of my old uncomfortable office chair, now I look forward to spending hours, not hours, sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager, <laughs> but I look forward to spending the PTI show. I look forward to that. It has four different massage modes and fast warming heat technology for therapy when I'm sore, which is the same as, you know, a heated seat in your car. That stuff's great. Do you know who's asking about this chair? No. Sam Neill. Oh, he wants this chair. Home. Okay, that's great. That's great. You won't believe the X chair difference until you feel the difference for yourself. It's the luxury supercar of office chairs. X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Go to xchairtony.com now. That's the letter X chair Tony. Dot com or call one eight four 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 x chair x chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month go to xchairtony.com now and use the code x wheels x wheels for free x wheel blade casters xchairtony.com you're listening to the tony kornheiser show This is a song called The Last Perfect Day. It's by Justin Karpinos. He's a high school English journalism teacher and a swimming coach in Nashville, Tennessee. I am also, like many folks in Nashville, he writes a musician. And I just released an EP as a singer-songwriter called The Smallest of Spheres. It was recorded remotely during the pandemic. This is, again, called The Last Perfect Day. It's available on Spotify, Apple Music, all streaming platforms. The Smallest of Spheres. These guys are great. The people that send us music are absolutely great. Just great. Michael Wilbon joins us now. Where are you and how is the weather? Um, the last perfect day was here. It was yesterday in, in, in Arizona. And it yeah. wasn't the last one. Um, it's, I'm in Arizona. It's um, yesterday. It's one of those days that happens here about 150 times. More than that, really. But where there's not a cloud to be seen. It's, it was 78 or 79 degrees where I live. You'll see, you'll hear the forecast if you're watching the Today Show or something. It'll say, you know, that it was, you know, 86. It might have been that right. on the valley floor, not where I live. So it was, it was just perfect. I, I went out and, you know, played a little golf. I Good. had a channel my Mr. Tony, and I went out and played just by myself nine holes. Good. You just couldn't, you should not be inside. You should not be indoors here. Um, it's just, no, I, it's I totally understand that. What would so? I'm sure you watch the tournament because we all watch the tournament to the degree that we can. What was your over? What is your overall impression of the tournament? Because I'm going to bet it's different than mine. What's your overall impression, Tony? I, I so in the first round of the tournament, um, so the first weekend, I watched a lot, and I was zero. You know, I was zeroed in on certain teams. Obviously, I you know, I, you know Illinois was the number one seed. I, you know, I care about Loyola. Um, so, you know, it's a very local tournament for me as a kid from Chicago, um, meaning Big Ten and, and other, you know, teams that, that are important to where I grew up. But this weekend, Tom, I, it, it reverted for me to sort of what we talked about for the whole season. I watched, but I didn't I, – I wasn't – just into it the way I have been into the tournament every year of my life. Like yesterday, I have, so I have never, no matter what the weather is, wherever said, yeah, you know, I'm going <laughs> to, 
I'm going to take a pass on this. I'm going to go do something else. I've never done that in my life as it concerns the tournament, which I really started watching in earnest, I don't know, when I was 12 maybe, in earnest. So we're talking 50 years. Yesterday, I've watched almost nothing. And I was thinking about it as I was going to the golf course. I'm like, oh, my God, I've never done this. I've never ducked out on the tournament. Yesterday, I ducked out. I watched very little. Um, It's not because, oh, it's the Pac-12 and you don't care. No, 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 no. The season never took off for me and never took on the meaning that it always had in my life. What's my so takeaway this, so far? It, yeah. It's that, you know, we, we, we didn't know all year. Other than Now, it turns out we, we've got these three number ones. And so it, the tournament's been true to that, the, the seeding, the number one seeds. But the rest of it, the upsets, I, I loved that the first weekend. I loved it. But, you know, I don't know what it left me with, Tony. I don't know why I have not been so fanatical that I watch every single dribble of the tournament. So this this surprises me a little bit because I thought you were on the verge of diving in. I, like you, have some reservations. First of all, over the last two days, and I just think it's so weird to go Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's just weirded me out. I don't even understand it at all. But over the last two days, there have only been two good games. The Oral Roberts game and the UCLA game are the only two good games. And I found myself watching and then wandering around the house. I couldn't go out yesterday because yeah. it rained here. It was not a day to play. Okay. And I'm tired, you know, because I played a lot lately. And I wanted badly to sink myself in this tournament because like you, yeah. it's something I love, just love. And I couldn't do it. I just, I couldn't do it. You know, you get to the eight and you have three number ones, a number two and a number three. And then you have the pack 12. It's, this is a pretty simple equation. All of us, certainly myself, underrated the Pac-12. Like everybody yeah, under me, the seating committee, everybody underrated the Pac-12. Okay. But yeah. the rest of it is three ones, a two, and a three. So the seating committee got it right. Right? They essentially got it right. And these are big-time schools, and Gonzaga looks great, and it, does, it has not won my heart. I think you feel the same way then. Yeah. Because I don't turn my back on the tournament. I just don't. No matter what. This isn't the first time I've been in Arizona with perfect weather when the tournament's on. I just, it's like, and you know, Tony, I tell you what's even uh, more telling is you and I have talked about this. You have had this feeling about the basketball season from day one that we, it wasn't winning us over like it always does. Always. Yeah. Not usually does. Always. Yeah. My phone is not chirping. It, it did a little bit. When I had some messages about the Alabama game. I watched not a second, not one second of the Alabama game. And but but the phone. I, I don't have constant messages from, you know, the guys I text with about basketball, college basketball. There'll be dozens of texts about college basketball in the regular season and conference tournament season. There's a couple. There's a couple. There were far more. And that may have to do with, again, where I'm from, local, local news. There were far more about the NBA trades from my group of guys. And it's not that we're somebody's anti-college basketball, quite the opposite. We got a group of fanatic college basketball people. 
But there were more texts about the trade deadline day, which, you know, was a little bit rousing for those of us who care about pro basketball and who were paying attention. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, and the the game that I paid the most attention to, and this is obviously because of you, I would say the biggest surprise for me in the tournament and the game that I paid the most attention to was Loyola losing. I did not think yeah. Loyola would lose to Oregon State. I did not. I didn't. I mean, Loyola's not a world beater. I mean, they, they got it. Listen, Tony, they got, I thought Loyola could win. I was actually, um, I ran into a guy uh, out here in Arizona becoming a new buddy who played, uh, who played there. And we were talking about it. And he said, you, we're going to get, you guys are going to kill us. I'm like, stop, stop. This tournament doesn't really have that element. Not that part of it. You mentioned the three ones. And the yeah. two's okay. The rest of it, any, the rest of those games, anybody could beat anybody. And Loyola shot the ball so poorly. It's, it's Tony, Loyola shot 50% for the regular season. They shot 50. terribly. Terribly. They were the number, the number four team field goal percentage in America. They couldn't make a layup. No, the big kid had and, had and, and, and they looks. fought. You know, they fought and they got back in it. And they got at the four. Yeah, yeah. But okay, at some point, one of these kids going to hit a shot. They they couldn't they do it. No, that was, so if, you, that was, if you're not going to do that, you're not going to. You know, Cinderella ain't going to win by not hitting a shot. No, well, the same thing happened to Syracuse. They just they made like eleven percent of their shots. I mean, they they sunk themselves. I I will I will ask you one thing about the NBA, which I find interesting. Um, I find it interesting, and I'm gratified because I said this a month ago that uh, the Lakers should get Andre Drummond, and they did. And the Lakers improved themselves a lot, and the Lakers can use Andre Drummond. But the the thing I'm going to ask you about is the New Jersey well, not the New Jersey Nets, the Brooklyn Nets have added in yeah. the last week and a half. They've added Blake Griffin, who may or may not be able to play anymore, but he's Blake Griffin. He's a big time really guy. Like he's a big yeah. time personality guy too and they just added lamarcus aldridge who becomes yeah. one of an increasing number of people who doesn't want to play for greg popovich anymore eh, that happens steve nash is a first year coach there's so much talent so much pedigree so mm -hmm. many medals on that team can you have this is the question i think that we have to ask ourselves can you have too much talent can that hurt a team yes Yes, and it's not because of the talent, it's because of the, 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 the moods, the mood swings, the demeanor. Like, what is that going to be like? Is, is somebody, can they get along? It's chemistry. You yeah. still have to have it. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you, I mean, the Miami Heat did this. The Lakers have done it too, and it has at times failed miserably. When they had, you know, Carl Malone, and you know, people added Gary Payton, they added all these stars late. The Heat did this, and the Lakers did it. The Lakers did it while they still had Kobe and Steve Nash. Steve Nash has right. been in this circumstance as a player in his life. Right. And it didn't work. Now, Brooklyn looks like it's going to work because they've got the current MVP. That's when right. James Harden says, I feel like I'm the MVP, that's because he is. And so, but I don't know. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible chemistry experiment coming down the stretch. First and year coach. First year. Up? Yes. With Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is hydrochloric acid. You never know. That's right. You never no, know. You, you, you never know. 
And I don't think, I mean, I think the Clippers helped themselves by getting Rondo because I don't think Pat Bev is a guy you can have right. running this team. And we saw that last year. I don't know that the Sixers helped themselves enough getting George Hill. And they got to directly go Sixers, Brooklyn. That's a collision coming. Um, and I don't know about the Lakers, Tony, because I don't think you can have your two best players injured for like months right. and just have them walk back in off the street and be as good as you know they would be otherwise. So this leaves Brooklyn. I don't know. What, I don't know what Jamarcus Aldridge. I mean, it's not about what he has left, and he doesn't have to be a twenty and ten guy that he's been for fifteen years. What if he's, he's a complainer? What if Griffin is he's a complainer? You know what I mean? You not, don't know. That's not what he does. Okay. Yeah, but that's not what he does. He's not a complainer. We know who well, the then, complainer on that team is. Kyrie Irving is the complainer. We know who that is. Yeah. Yeah. But so, what? But Aldridge it's, didn't. It's he stopped playing. He just stopped playing. No. You know this is what him from playing. This is what Kawhi Leonard did they, too. Right? No, 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 okay. no, no. Okay. This is the opposite. No. Kawhi Leonard stopped playing. Lamarcus right. Aldridge was held out from playing by the San Antonio Spurs. Because they don't think out. he can play. They don't think he can play no. anymore. They, they, they knew they were going to deal him, and you don't want to well, they deal him or buy him out or whatever they were going to do. They tried to deal him. Now, they, right. they, they couldn't deal him. People didn't want him at 30. I think he's 36. And look, Drummond is only 26 or 27. Drummond's good. And they held him out. Yeah. So, no, this is not, this is not withholding your services. This is NBA team. This is what, this is what Draymond Green said. He said, wait a minute. If we got a guy, a player, who says, I don't want to play, people go nuts. But if the NBA sits out a guy and you're a home team, not fans don't matter quite as much right now. That's right. But this guy is held out by the team. Oh, it's fine. The team's trying to seek a better deal. And Draymond I got one other thing. Right about that. One other thing. We, t- we talked about movement in the NBA. I want to go to movement in the NFL. The 49ers, who we thought liked Jimmy Garoppolo when Jimmy Garoppolo's healthy, which is not all the time. He's hurt never, a lot. Never. He's yeah. hurt a lot. They have moved up to three. I assume to draft a quarterback. Yeah, I think, I think Kyle Shanahan knows what he's doing. What do you think? And and John Lynch, well, I think they know what they're doing, but I don't know. I think I, I, you know they they didn't know what they were doing with Garoppolo, did they? Well, he cooked. He, he went he, to the Super Bowl. One, he's played one sixteen game season, right? But they, they went built to the Super Bowl. Team they were expecting to have shot after shot after shot. That's right. That's right. And so right. what they what what they did was they built a team that didn't have the head of the team. They didn't have a quarterback. Yeah, they could count on, and so they said, "You know what? We're cutting bait." Now they're not really cutting bait, but because they're going to apparently keep Garoppolo to to be there. This they're not ready to turn this team, this Ferrari of a team. Otherwise, they're not willing to turn that team over to a rookie quarterback entirely. Yeah. So they're going to they're apparent. I keep saying apparently, um, they're apparently going to you know let Garoppolo still be the starter. While whoever this is, they draft, and they don't even know who they can draft. They're gonna. No. There's three people Third. in place. They're gonna take one of them, and they must like two of them. They must like two of them. I, you know, I am not a draft nick. I could give it a damn. Um, if, if any any apparatus that can't tell me that any apparatus that tells me that Tom Brady is a six round guy, why would I pay all my attention to that to that institution? So we'll see if they choose somebody who can play. 
and it, it's, it's intriguing. You know, Philadelphia and Miami decided to is, amass yeah. all these picks to surround yeah. their young quarterbacks, of whom they are not certain, with, no. with players. We don't know if, if know, those two quarterbacks, you know? we don't know if they have arms. We don't know if they have NFL arms. We don't know. We don't know. It's interesting. We don't, we don't know if they have a lot of stuff, but they're, 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 yeah. they're, they're going in with those guys, Philly and Miami. And so San Francisco's going in with, you know, a rookie as well. But, they're, but the question will be, suppose Garoppolo proves he can stay healthy for us. He's up, Tony, one season in his career. Yeah. Super Bowl. Games. Super Bowl. Pretty good. One season right. good. Right. <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you later. I'll see you later on the air. All right, Tom. Yep. Michael Tom Wilbon, did. boys and girls. Uh, we'll take a break. Chuck Culpepper, who is in Indianapolis covering games, will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Brooklyn and Ad. How's your comforter looking these days? A lot like you feel, maybe a little lumpy, maybe a little deflated. No longer has the same fluff it used to. It's time for a refresh with Brooklyn. And whether you're an early bird or you like to hit the snooze button, everyone deserves to sleep in ultimate comfort. And that starts with your comforter. Brooklinen can help you get your best sleep. If you sleep with a comforter, you're looking for one thing, comfort. I guess, because it's called a comforter. Like you're not looking for a cheese sandwich or a something called <laughs> a cheese sandwich. But if you're anything less than cozy, you need something better. Brooklinen has a collection of comforters and other home essentials. You can live your most comfortable life. I buy these things. I spend money on this stuff. Me, personally, spend money. I like their stuff. I have their comforter. I have their towels. I have their sheets. I've bought them with my own money. I don't really know what more I can tell you because I don't really like to spend my own money on stuff, you know, and I do. So this stuff, this stuff is good. This stuff is good. Um, yeah. It says, please include any testimonial about Brooklyn and items you have received. I've received them because I bought them. They're good. Michael, you have them too, don't you? I, I do not, but I'm on the website right now checking now, out the heathered cashmere. It's really nice. Nice stuff. Treat yourself to ultimate comfort with Brooklinen's Comforter Collection. Go to brooklinen.com, use the promo code TONY to get $25 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Enter the promo code TONY for $25 off with a minimum purchase of $100. brooklinen.com, promo code TONY. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Justin Karpinos from Nashville, a high school English and journalism teacher and a swimming coach. This is called Borrowed Time. This is off his new EP, The Smallest of Spheres. He said he's followed my work for years, and my show with Katie Ledecky, if you remember that one from Chatter from the summer 2017, is basically required listening for our journalism students and our swimmers. He says, I especially always try to listen or watch whenever Pat Forty is on. Forty is big champion for swimming. And his daughter, Brooke, wow, swam for my wife's home club team in Louisville. Oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Thank you, Justin. Chuck Culpepper joins us now, and, and before we get into the tournament, I'm going to just single-handedly praise Culpepper for something that he wrote the other day. That story, the Oral Roberts story, you own that one. The first eight, nine paragraphs of that story were just great. And that's one of, actually, is I'm just saying this to Wilbon, that's one of the only two good games I saw over the last couple of days. Uh, the UCLA game was a good game, and the Oral Roberts game was a good game. You did a great job on that. When the dust settles... And this is what I really want to talk about. When the dust settles, there's three number ones and number two and number three and three Pac-12 teams. I mean, so it's, it's pretty obvious what happened. 
the, the, all of us, and certainly the committee as well, all of us, me too, totally underrated the Pac-12 and had everything else basically right. Three ones, a two, and a three, and three Pac-12 teams. There's no other, Chuck, there's no other conclusion, is there? Well, and then you wonder, is that part of the reason why it's happened as it's happened? You know, the the uh, Isaiah White of the Trojans last night, late last night, this morning, 1 a.m., whatever it was, was saying uh, that it helped them. You know, it helped them a lot to, to have people uh, overlook them like that. And, you know, the whole country's gotten used to overlooking the Pac-12 and and. We need the Pac-12 to be an interesting country. We're much more boring without the Pac when the Pac-12 is not, you know, competitive in football and basketball. We need them. We need all their their pretty sights and their innovation and their Rose Bowl and all of it. So, um, yeah, I think uh, basically, I mean, if, if that Oral Roberts shot goes in, we're talking about kind of a different thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, but it, yeah, it went, it wound up. More chalky than it seemed through the... So, through the, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to get to this because I'm one of those people, and I know what I've said. At least in the last few weeks, I know what I've said. Beyond that, I've forgotten. But I have been incredibly critical of Larry Scott. I thought he ruined a great, great conference, the Pac-12. They disappeared in football. They disappeared in basketball. In football, you know, the, the USC football. In basketball, UCLA basketball these are really important to the country i agree with you wholeheartedly and i thought they waited too long to get rid of larry scott and i just thought they were totally in the tank so i'll ask you as one of the people it appears i am wrong and i couldn't be more wrong how did everybody get to the point where they overlooked the pac-12 in basketball completely it is it's gone on for so long we had what uh, Arizona winning the title in 97, uh, UCLA before that in 95. There have been no titles uh, from the West since then. And then UCLA made those three straight Final Fours, 06, 07, 08. I think we just got used to to the idea of, you know, of, uh, you know, our Eastern snobbery had some, um, had some, evidence behind it you know it, we just got used yeah. to the idea of, of there not being relevant and so maybe finally when it came along uh to a tournament that's as you know eccentric as this one is in a lot of ways um where you maybe the margins are even smaller than usual and then you and then you factor in uh how low their seatings were i think they're the first conference in history to to do this well with seatings uh that so low so um, you factor in all that, maybe it helped them. I'm not saying it's the main factor, but could be that little extra thing that, that pushed them across. You, I don't know if you caught any of their conference tournament, but it was, it was good stuff. So, but I didn't sit around after that saying, oh, the, these teams are going to be 37% of the Elite Eight. Just, I, it's, it, that is the stunning takeaway from me, how well they've done. I will say, having watched, and most of the games have been bad, the last two days most of the games were bad but i will tell you that boy baylor for a football school they look good to me <laughs> baylor looks like a real squad to me like they don't seem to have any particular weakness I, i'm i'm searching for somebody to beat gonzaga because i'm one of those people that i'm not thrilled with gonzaga and i'm certainly not thrilled for them to become an immortal team 
by winning the whole thing. And I look at Michigan, and I think they're a real good team. But I don't think that Michigan has the individual skill that Baylor has. Gonzaga still, to me, looks like a big favorite. But Baylor is more impressive than I thought. Had you seen them much going into the tournament? Only a, only a few times. And with them, the, the thing that's compelling is that that amount of experience. It's just, you know, and, and guard play, of course. And it's just, they're just so, you know, they they're just have many, many tiers of being solid. And they're just sturdy. They're, yeah. you know, they're, they lost two games this year, both late in the year and both after their, you know, they went, almost so much of February without even playing because of the virus. And, and now it's like they're putting it back together to where they were. That's the way it looks. They're putting it back together the way they were when they and Gonzaga reigned over the entire season. You know, they, those two were one, two, pretty much the whole way. I'm happy that, that in a way that they're still there, you know, just in, in a lot of ways that they're still there because I just wanted to see them, carry it both carry it out and not have some second round defeat it didn't seem legit to do that so to see them carry it out to this level i do think michigan could beat gonzaga if in the form that they showed yes on sunday they looked very good i you know michigan looked really good and i'm i'm interested to hear you say that because i look at gonzaga and then gonzaga hasn't had to play a great team yet and they're not going to have to play a great team until the final four they're not but Gonzaga is fast and relentless and more than any other team finds people totally open one foot from the basket. Totally open. How do they do that? Yeah, and, and they, they, never, <clears throat> they never seem to take a bad shot. Despite having all those offensive uh, components, they share the ball so well. I would worry about one thing. I think it's going to be a really interesting West Regional Final with USC because the way USC is playing, you know, they beat Kansas, which is right. not the typical Kansas, but uh, 85-51. And they have this seven-foot freshman, Evan Mobley, who packed 12 player of the year and, and so on. And they're, um, you know, and, and yet he's their fourth leading scorer one night, their fifth leading scorer another night when, and shares the ball with assists. They're, they've shot the ball like crazy. I think it's going to be an upgrade and perhaps in competition for Gonzaga. And I think, I think that game could be dazzling. I really do. I would love for that to be the case. I don't know how many people remember this, but the coach at USC and USC is not a traditional basketball power by any means. They're just not UCLA is not USC, but they went and got Andy Enfield when Andy and Andy Enfield left Florida Gulf coast. And if you remember Florida Gulf Coast, you know that that is a coach who understands exactly what creativity and talent can do on a basketball court and does not get in the way. So in that regard, maybe you're right. Maybe that sets up for something pretty interesting. Maybe it sets up for an 85-82 game, right? Do you think it might be a big offensive game? Oh, I think it's going to be exactly that. I might even say 95-92. Oh, it's wow. And, wow. and you know he's he's been out there for eight years. Yep, at, that's uh, right at USC. And I think a, a lot of us had kind of forgotten about um, about him being out there. You know, it's just it's not it's not loud. It's not a loud program. It doesn't get a lot of attention. And he's a classic case. If you think about it, that Florida Gulf Coast team, they won two games in the tournament. It was great fun. It was compelling. It was 
lovely, all of that underdog thing. And, you know, he built that move really off the noise and the, the energy of those two wins. And so then he's sitting out there for eight years, and now he has this team that it just looks so – they're really, really hell to guard. And and then they've got this zone defense they've thrown on people that it's – you know, they've been limiting people to 29%, 37%, that kind of thing through this tournament. So they haven't played that thing much all year. So I think people are not really – Mm. all that ready for it so that's interesting um, the other part would be of course that if you're in the pac 12 you're sick of gonzaga taking all your ink all the time you're sick of them you want to beat them i mean they you could you i could see how usc would want to beat gonzaga a lot more than want to beat michigan want to beat baylor that they would be sick of gonzaga do you think that plays into it yes absolutely and when they fielded those kinds of questions uh last night about beating the big you know the 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 giant when they fielded those kind of questions it just seemed like they were dodging them completely like in that way where i'm not going to say anything that's that's going to cause any stir here but uh you know as as isaiah white said we think we can beat anybody and i think that's that's the way they yeah. think about it by now especially after the run they've had and the the dominance of it so yeah i think that's that gonzaga has taken all the attention that has gone to that region, and they're yeah. probably tired of it. I would imagine that. Uh, by the way, it's it's good, it's not going to be a story from now on unless something really untoward happens. But there's only one game that's been lost to the coronavirus. That surprised me. It seems like the bubble is overall working very, very well. Is it, or is it surprised you that only one game was lost? Yes, it surprised me very much. And then... The, you know, you always had to wonder about, let's say, Oregon, which which um, advanced after that game. Let's say Oregon had uh, gone to the Final Four or, or even, you know, we would wonder mm. maybe, uh, you know, people would talk about, well, they didn't have to win quite as many games. And, um, so now the, the one game that was, that was a no contest because of this became, you know, a game where that team is also out. So I'm... I would, yeah, I would say that I'm surprised, especially after those conference tournaments and all the uh, exits, early exits because of the virus that happened there. I'm surprised that we have only, you know, only that one game and that none of the teams in the Elite Eight, you know, has had to play fewer games than, than, than no, in a normal year would have brought. I saw that uh, it, there's a report that Indiana is looking at Mike Woodson who was a player at Indiana and an All-American player at Indiana many years ago and has been, I thought, mainly in the NBA doing coaching. Are you at all surprised by Mike Woodson, or does it make perfect sense to you? Just from the way that people were talking around here in Indianapolis and just the way that that story was covered, there's a, there seemed to be a big push to get somebody who knew and loved the program. You know, that program... Mm -hmm. Uh, everyone pretty much agrees should be great, and it's been great in so much of our consciousness through the years. And um, I think I think there was a big push for that. Just somebody who they had they had gone a few times with people who you know who didn't know the terrain maybe as well, didn't know what it's like to you know live in one of those places like Kentucky. Everybody's a coach. You know, every, every, all the entire population is all coaches, you know? So I think, I think that's, um, I think that was a big, 
you know, they, they wanted this time to have somebody, uh, you know, who, who knew what in his bones, what that was like. And I wonder how much, uh, Jawan Howard's success at Michigan and how great he's looked, uh, causing, you know, bringing that success. I wonder how, um, that's going to affect the way people think about, you know, hiring people who have NBA experience. I wonder if it's going to be even maybe a little bit trendy because the job he's done there is just, is just so impressive. I mean, and, and then they had this late season injury two weeks ago and they've turned it and looked like a team unaffected by that. And you know, they are affected, but I, yeah, I wonder if that's going to, to be something people look at as, as exemplary. They, more than any other team so far for me, they look like a real team. They go eight, nine deep. Everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody plays with and for each other. I, I like Baylor a lot, but I don't think Baylor is as deep. I like Gonzaga a lot, but Gonzaga does something different. It, it's not, it's, Gonzaga really depends on Suggs. He's so good at finding people. It seems like the responsibility is... Um, more disparate with Michigan and that everybody, they remind me of the Miami heat that people know what they're supposed to do and they do it. Or am I overrating that team? No, I don't think you're overrating. And I think, and when Leonard Hamilton, the Florida state coach talked about them yesterday, he said their, their spacing was incredible. And I, that comment really struck me. It's yeah. just like, I can't really look out on the court and spot you know, incredible spacing. I, you know, he, he, so he's got that trained, much more trained eye for it. And he, he just thought that the way they attacked the Florida state defense, which was supposed to be, you know, the, the most important element of that matchup and the way he, that they attacked that, he just thought was just, you know, very, very impressive toward him. So to him. So I think, um, just the way they're playing, maybe, Sometimes when you lose a guy as they did, Isaiah Livers on March the 12th, sometimes when you lose a guy that late, maybe everybody concentrates a little more. Um, there's, there is a lot of talent there. And the, the way they play together, the way they move the ball around, um, you know, I watched them and thought, okay, they're going to win this whole tournament. So every team I watched, such as Loyola, Chicago, Illinois in the Big Ten, they, they then then they don't win. They they lose their next game. So they'll probably let's hope that doesn't happen. Late. Yeah. Thank you for waking up. Go get some sleep. I won't, I won't ask you to my, uh... do this on three hours anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Chuck. Okay. Okay. Chuck Culpepper, boys and girls. We will take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Michelob Ultra Read. In sports, if you think joy only happens after you win, think again. Look at the world's most successful athletes. They don't spend all their days grinding away. They take the time to enjoy themselves, like having a Michelob Ultra with friends, because they know that happiness is the key to winning and that joy is the whole game, not just the end game. In my life as a sports writer and somebody on television, I can think of two teams that exemplified this more than others. And I don't want you to get the wrong impression because to be a professional athlete means you have to work very, very hard at it. You're in an extraordinarily narrow slice of accomplishment when you reach the pros. But having fun is important as well. I would give you two. I would give you the 2019 Nats 
who every time they hit a home run, danced in the dugout. And when they danced in the dugout, the camera stayed on them. And it made all of us who rooted for the team very happy. And there was a sidebar to that. If Adam Eaton or Howie Kendrick were involved in a play that resulted in a run, they sat next to each other on the bench and they did a power shift as if they were driving a car. And that, too, gave them great joy and gave us as viewers great joy. The obvious other example is the 85 Bears, maybe the greatest single-season team in the NFL when they put together the Super Bowl shuffle. And everyone went, oh, my God, you can't do that. That's going to jinx you. you got to keep your nose to the grindstone. But no, they were the best team ever. They went through the playoffs something like 91 to 10. And even Wilbon knows how good they were, and I don't get angry when he says it. So that is the great joy that you can take from sports. Michelob Ultra, 95 calories, 2.6 grams of carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Press record. All right. Now I'm going to sing. So now I'm gonna sing a song It's a live jingle, a real important one But I've got no experience to draw upon I'd regale you with some lyrics about a wonderful story Without first-hand history it would go rather poorly Now KJ can take over and sing something funny Wait a minute is this how podcasters make all their money? It's the chorus. Now I'm singing about doing live reads. I sing the words and the hurt from your Google machine. If I keep singing, will I get funded by underwear, razors, and seeds? Build the chorus. Do they pay for jingles about live reads? I'm singing a jingle about live reads. I'm repeating these words again because they're important. <laughs> I'm singing a jingle about Lowry. Jason Hughes. I'm playing the same chords over and over. Wait I for bet the you call didn't notice unless you were paying attention. Ooh, that's falsetto. <laughs> I'm singing a jingle Jason. about Lowry. <laughs> and a small appearance by Kirsten Onstead. Uh, Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda bagel read? Yes, Bethesda bagels, Mr. Tony. We love them. You will as well. The sandwiches Bethes- today. Sandwiches yes, the bagel today. sandwich is always a great day when we get those. Michael, excited. Yeah. Just Not go to nearly Bethesda- as excited as you are. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Just go to Bethesda <laughs> bagels for, for, the, for the location in D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. All right, that's just about us. Do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say you broke my heart because I couldn't dance. You didn't even want me around. But now I'm back to let you know I can really Shake him down. Do you love me? These are the contours, I believe. Yes. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Chuck Culpepper. Thanks to our sponsors, Brooklyn and X-Chair and Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio.com. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. I should just say this. I said it to Michael the other day as a result of the sponsorship. When I'm done playing golf and somebody says, you want to have a beer, I now get Michelob Ultra. <laughs> I do that. You know, and I've come to like it. And yeah. you say it to everyone within earshot. You know, they pay. They yeah, pay. Yeah, they do. All right. <laughs> this is from Bill Isaacson. I had a remarkable day this past week when I received my first vaccination and on the same day learned that Mike from Burke, Virginia, graduated one year after me at Virginia Law School. That means that for two years I sh- shared the same hallways with the famous Mike of Burke. 
I do not recall meeting him at school, but if we did meet and if he remembered me, I am more than a little nervous about how he would trash me now. Setting that fear aside, I have huge regrets that I did not have the chance to hear Micah Burke's reviews crushing the lectures of the law faculty. I can hear it in my head as I enter a class and he is leaving. Welcome to another deeper, more horrifying circle of hell. Or after class, I wonder if that clown could cop stop taking dictation from the University of Chicago or in the hallway. Oh yeah, that was a bold statement from Professor Profile in Sewage. I'm also sure that no one could have been better in class at Turkey Bingo than Mike from Burke, Virginia, but explaining that would involve a longer email. Finally, I've been meaning to say that the song, This May Be the Year, from Levi Petrie of Lafayette, Louisiana, played on the podcast, is my favorite song of the year. I've probably played it over a hundred times, and I plan to recommend it to Mike of Burke, should we meet Bill Isaacson. I like that. Here's something I did want to read. This is from Michael Granberry, who, as you know, is a feature and arts editor and writer in Dallas. I wanted to share with you guys a melancholy happy trails to the great Texas writer Larry McMurtry, who died Thursday night. I wrote Larry's obituary, which appeared in the Dallas Morning News. I first saw Larry in 1973 during my summer internship at the Washington Post Sports Department. I walked into his bookstore, booked up at the corner of 31st and M Streets in Georgetown, but was so shy about meeting him, I failed to introduce myself. During that summer, I had worked up the nerve to introduce myself to Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, and actually had lunch with the great Hunter Thompson, a meeting that the great William Bill Grider, he says William, but it's Bill Grider, helped arrange. And for that, I will always be grateful. But for me, a native Texan, meeting Larry took more courage than I could muster as a 21-year-old college student. I did get to meet Larry years later at his home in Archer City, Texas, on whose dusty streets the last picture show was filmed. By then, Larry had moved to his D.C. bookstore to Archer City, where at one point he was housing 500,000 rare books in multiple storefronts. He referred to his hometown as the bookless part of a bookless state and hated it when people called him a great American novelist, despite having won the Pulitzer Prize for Lonesome Dove and being awarded the National Humanities Medal by President Barack Obama in 2015. For years, Larry wore a t-shirt that read, Minor Regional Novelist, and he meant it. <laughs> Larry was better read than anyone I've ever met. After all, he had read the 500,000 books he kept in his bookstore. Larry was never much of a sports fan. His portrayal of the immortal Coach Popper in The Last Picture Show pretty much said it all. But in one of his few nonfiction books, In a Narrow Grave, published in 1968, he could not have been more prophetic in describing his reaction to the Houston Astrodome. In Texas, McMurtry wrote, although he could have said in America, having no idea how far flung the stadium boom would be by the early 21st century, there was always room for something bigger. Soon some enterprising native will think of something new and even more extraordinary. Perhaps it will be a glassed-in aerial roadway from River Oaks to the Petroleum Club, or a mink beetle wig to put over the dome on cold days. Whatever it is will be bigger, better, sexier, more violent, and above all, costlier than anything we've had before. Rest in peace, Larry. And he says the link to his obituary, he gives a link here, which I can't give you, but you can look up the Dallas Morning News. I will tell you that I read the front page obituary, I think it was on the front page, in the Washington Post of Larry McMurtry, who is someone that I have never met as well, but someone whose work in a variety of venues, such as film and books, impressed me to an extraordinary level. I had friends in Washington who knew him very well. Nobody ever said a word about Larry McMurtry other than they loved being in his company. Um, if you have not read any of these obituaries, Go read these obituaries because they are extraordinary and they tell a story of an extraordinary person who, who is just a great, great writer involved in so, you know, screenplays like The Last Picture Show 
and Terms of Endearment and Lonesome Dove. I mean, come on. Yeah. The guy was great. Uh, one more I'll read today. Tom Lalonde in Tacoma Park. I would like to propose an I-81 road trip with you, me, and Saliza to Syracuse. As a longtime little who lives near the 20015, I grew up in Syracuse, graduated from Syracuse University, so I feel like I'm well-suited as a great tour guide. While driving through Pennsylvania, we can talk about proper pronunciation of Syracuse. For me, it's Syracuse. I always get annoyed with the downstaters on campus like you who would say Syracuse. I look forward to Saliza's thought on this while we pass Scranton, the childhood home of Syracuse great Jerry McNamara and the childhood home of the President of the United States of America. Of course, we'll have an exciting diversion to SUNY Binghamton. Never been there, actually. Well, you missed it, Tom. You missed it. And finally, <laughs> on our visit to Syracuse, we'll include stops at the newly renovated Carrier Dome, the Carmelo Anthony Center, and lunch at the Varsity. Maybe you can ask your friend Jim Beheim if he, Julie, and Buddy would like to join us for dinner at Grimaldi's in DeWitt. I have eaten there. I've eaten at Grimaldi's. That's a favorite of Dick Vitale right down the road from Buddy's alma mater, Jamesville DeWitt High School. Let me know if you're interested. Perhaps we should also invite Michael so he can plan our pit stops at Sheets along the way. Oh, and please tell Saliza that my chin strap beard has gone full on, <laughs> full on pa pandemic beard. So we're all good there. And of course, masks and open windows for the whole six hour ride. It's wonderful. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. Come on now. That means everybody just cool out. Will you Thanks, cool Mick. out, everybody? <laughs> Thank you, Mick. The air is still in the evening. Lights fade out along the coast yeah. gone. The water rises and recedes And you've fallen to your knees Could you stay there until the dawn? But all the world would seems To lie before us like a land of dreams So how can you stare at these four walls When the sky above is Hide your eyes Acting like you're stuck inside On the last perfect day of the year You got paper gods And plastic worlds To carry you away See with bitter eyes When reality gets too much for you to stand You got medicines and pills But you need your life to still Wearing out Before it's like a land of dreams So how can you stare at these four walls When the sky above is blue and clear But you just breathe a sigh Acting like you're stuck inside On the last perfect day of the year Come to the window Sweet is the air To the window, sweet is the air. Come to the 
the world which seems to lie before us like a land of dreams. You know you can't stare at these four walls when the sky above is blue and clear. Just open up your eyes. Take a step outside. It's the last perfect day of
morning shines all too soon. We move.